You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Dangerous Prayers. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have the honor this morning of welcoming into the, the pulpit for the first time Brad House. Now, Brad is a pastor at our sister church, Sojourn East, on the east end of Louisville. Brad is also on staff as the Sojourn Collective Director. So what that means is Sojourn is a, is a collective of five churches in Kentuckiana, four in Louisville, and then us here in uh, New Albany. And Brad, as a collective director, he kind of keeps us all on mission, keeps us all rowing in the same direction. So he meets regularly with Pastor Jonah and the lead pastors of all the churches uh, in the Sojourn Collective. He also meets regularly with me and all the associate pastors of the Sojourn churches and does does uh, far more things than I could possibly tell you. And he has blessed Sojourn New Albany and all the Sojourn churches in more ways than I could possibly share with you in a brief amount of time. He's also on the board of Sojourn Network, which is our church planning network. So Brad is is such a valuable brother, and we are honored to have him with us to preach the message this morning. So let's give him a big welcome. Brad House. Appreciate that. Uh, If it sounds like I go to a lot of meetings, that's what I do. Uh, (laughs) Spend a lot of time in meetings. I know... um, for some of you, when you heard that there um, was a guy originally from Michigan, uh, about 43, with declining skills, uh, coming to Indiana, you were hoping it would be Tom Brady. Um, I'm told that that's still possible. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think, uh, Bobby, for those kind words, I, I love serving um, this church. I love serving the, the Sojourn churches. And uh, what, I, what I really love is my I get to come and see... Uh, what God is doing uh, across Kentuckiana in, uh, in really unique ways. And so very thankful for that. Um, he said in the pulpit for the first time, it's the first time here. Um, I have preached before. I'm, you might notice or not notice. Uh, who knows? Um, maybe I should have left you with that ambiguity. That uh, Maybe this is first time, so it's not that bad. Um, but uh, I am glad to be here. Um, we're talking today uh, about unity. So we're in a series called Dangerous Prayers. Um, we've gone through uh, the prayer of search me, the prayer of break me, or break, search us, break us, and now unite us. And uh, you can imagine maybe if you can think of kind of where we're at in the world today, the socio-political, uh, 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 geopolitical uh, outlook on the world, like the idea of unity right now um, is not the easiest topic to step into. Um, when I think of where we're at, uh, whether it's uh, in our country, um, and even how the church has handled itself um, in the greater kind of scheme of things, uh, this was an interesting sermon to come to. Um, when I look actually a little bit closer, a little bit more local and what's happening in our churches, in the Sojourn churches, and, and specifically here in New Albany, I'm much more encouraged. Um, I'm very encouraged at the unity that I see within our churches Um, But it would be naive of me, and I think naive of us, to think that there isn't a danger, there isn't 
um, going to be pressures put on um, our churches when we see what's going on in the world around us, especially coming into 2020, which is an election year where those differences seem to be highlighted, right? Can you see that coming? Um, and so for us as a church to be able to, to, to kind of prepare our hearts for what that would look like, I think this is a very appropriate, uh, appropriate sermon series uh, for us and, and, and hopefully an appropriate message. So in the, in the midst of all of that going on and in the midst of those tensions, uh, I, I do want to acknowledge that, that as a people, just as human beings, we are attracted to stories and even the experience of unity. Amen? We like stories of unity. Um, there's something in us that wells up in us when we see those stories. I was talking with my kids this week uh, about that concept, and I haven't seen all of Endgame, uh, which is, uh, if that's your brand of nerd, that's, that's the Marvel movies, the superheroes, we got some there. Um, and the idea behind the movie, I asked my kids this because I hadn't watched it, said it, isn't that where like all the superheroes, like they, they all have some, some um, uh, issues with each other, but there's a greater evil that comes into the picture, and so they kind of band together uh, to fight that evil. And I was, I was, uh, it was confirmed by my sons that that is true. And then my oldest son said, uh, well, actually, Dad, that's pretty much the plot of every Marvel movie. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 it kind of is. That's what they do. Uh, my brand of nerd is more Lord of the Rings. Uh, we got any of those, those out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, we got some claps for Lord of the Rings, right? So the big concept of Lord of the Rings, you know, we have, we have uh, the kingdoms of men and of elves and of dwarves that, that all have animosity towards each other. But, but when this great evil comes in the world, they're able to put aside those, um, those issues because, uh, because this great threat has come. And so they band together and they unify in order to uh, dispel the evil, right? Good versus evil. We love those stories. Those stories resonate with us. I think of First uh, Peter 2, this idea that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people, this idea that we were created to belong to a people. We were created to be unified as a people um, and so when we're in a world that is, just feels disunified, disjointed, we, we love these stories because they speak to our souls. They, they, um, uh, they give voice to something that we desire and that we long for. And so that's what we're going to address this morning is what does it look like to pray that that wouldn't just be imaginary, right? That that would be something that we would actually tangibly feel as a church, as a people, and so the outline for today, we're going to talk about a vision for unity, looking at Psalm 133. Um, we're going to talk about what are the dangers of unity? Why does it feel dangerous? Why does that prayer feel dangerous to us? And then we're going to look at the hope, the hope that we have in unity, or, or what hope do we have for unity? Um, so if you have your Bibles, if you're still working with the analog Bible, feel free to open up to Psalm 133. Um, if you have an app, feel free to open that up as well. Um, so we're going to be in Psalm 133. Let me pray. As we get started, Father, um, I thank you, Lord, for your word, for the opportunity to come uh, with brothers and sisters and and uh, and and share um, what you've been doing on my heart. But but mostly, Lord, that we would just, as we engage your Scripture, uh, Father, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to things that you want us to hear. Um, different people are going to hear different things that that your Spirit. Uh, is moving in them, and so we pray for that, that your, your spirit would be here with us, uh, and that we would leave um, changed, different this morning, um, because of your word. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so, um, so Psalm 133, we read this this morning. Uh, and as, as you saw, it said this was a psalm of ascent. Um, and what that means is that, is that families um, uh, in Israel would, would uh, travel to the city, um, to Mount Zion. They would travel to the city and, and they would ascend up to uh, the temple. Um, and so when they were making these pilgrimages, when they were making these, these travels, they had songs. And when you read in the Psalms, Psalms, songs of ascent, uh, these were the songs that they would, um, would sing and recite to each other uh, on these journeys. So think of this, right? Like they're, they're walking, it's hot. Uh, they're with their entire extended family. Uh, they probably have some animals with them because they're going to the temple. Um, and so they're tired and they're dirty and they're singing this song, right? I think this is very relatable to us. One, because like as we look at, talk about kind of where society is in terms of disjointed, we can kind of feel a little bit disjointed and dirty. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, um, if I think about just traveling, like not walking, just traveling in my car, <laughs> uh, long distances with my family, right? Like, uh, I don't know what car you have, whether it's a you know, minivan or, uh, or a truck or something, but when you pack the family into the car, um, those are not necessarily the times that you're singing psalms and joy and unity. Am I right? Um, you know, for us, for a while, um, we realized that every time we were going on a journey up to grandma's house or something like that, and, and our grandparents are like nine hours away, so it's a pretty good journey, um, I would be frustrated before we got out of the driveway, right? Like, stop touching your sister! Um, and what I realized, I had to actually pray uh, with my family before we started, because if I left any, not, not a mile down the road, I had to pray before we started. Uh, if I wanted to, to experience some form of unity, I had to be reminded that this is fun. We're going on vacation. You know, we're going to see fan. This is supposed to be fun. Let's not ruin it before we start, right? So we can kind of relate to the Song of Ascent. Hey, when, you're, when, we're, you know, when, when they're making this pilgrimage and things are breaking down and people are complaining, like, hey, hold on. Let's remember what it looks like to be unified. So uh, the, the first verse, he says this. He says, uh, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Lots of translations kind of start with behold or look. And it kind of has this idea of like, like take a minute. Like before you get started, before the car leaves. Like, like take a minute and remember how great it is when we live together in harmony. And so there's this kind of behold. Like take a minute and stop and look at this. And what is it? It's that... It's that it's good, this thing that we're looking at is good and pleasant. Uh, now that word good is, is, is fairly interesting. It's, it, it's not something that you and I can declare. Like, like we don't make good things. Every good and, and, and precious thing comes from the Lord. That God is the author of goodness and he is the one who can declare things good. That's what he does with creation as he, as he, he uh, creates the world, as he creates you and me. He declares those things good. And, and so when we see something that is good, we can look at that and say, that is a gift from the Lord. Goodness is a gift from the Lord. It's why it's one of the values of sojourn. One of the values of sojourn is goodness, that we desire to align ourselves with the goodness that has been created and declared by God. That is part of who we are as a church. Pleasantness, the fact that it's good and pleasant, 
is something different. Pleasant is actually experiential. That's something that you and I can declare, that this is pleasing, that, 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 um, that this is something that I enjoy. It, it has a, a bit of a, um, uh, an experiential note to it. Um, and we know that, that not all things that are pleasing to the flesh are always good. There are things, like, like we are tempted with things and sin that could be pleasing but not good. And so it's very, very special that what he says here is that when we live together in harmony, when we dwell together in harmony, that it is not only good, but it is also pleasing. It is both, which makes it very special. Now, what is this that he says is so special? It's that we would live together in harmony. And that, that is a beautiful word, word right? Harmony. This idea that we would live together in harmony, and for this congregation, that's not really hard to imagine, right? Because every week you have, you have amazing musicians that come up here and sing songs in harmony, with harmonies, right? And what makes harmonies beautiful is that they're not all the same note, but they're unified. They're unified notes that are different, but when they're, when they're played together, when they're sounded together, whether with the voice or with an instrument, they, they, they harmonize in a way that is beautiful to the human ear. Um, and when we all sing, we all participate in that. Now, not every note coming from here is always unified, right? You might be one of those, you might hear some people that are a little bit off, or you might be creating, sounding some of those notes. Um, but that's the prayer, right? The prayer is that what would it be like if this entire body of people, when we sang out, we sang in unified, harmonious notes, that it would be beautiful, right? It would bring tears to the eye. And that's why when you hear large groups of people um, singing and they are unified, it, it is so beautiful. And so that's the picture that he gives us is, is this picture of the church that is different notes, not uniform notes, but different notes that are unified in harmony. We, we, um, we read 1 Corinthians 12 today. One body, many parts. You have different parts to play, but when we, when we play those parts together, when we play them in harmony, the body works together well and we're able to accomplish using each of our own individual gifts we're able to do that in a way that is good and pleasing. That is the vision, right? Now, the, he gives two illustrations for this. Two illustrations of what that would look like. And the first is this idea of fine wine being, being poured out over Aaron. So Aaron was the high priest of Israel. So, so the imagery here is that this is something holy. This is something other. This is something set apart. But, but as, um, as we dwell in harmony as a body, it is like... God pouring out his blessing on Aaron, on, on Israel, on the body of Christ. That it's like, like it's being poured out and, and you see this, this image of it, of it being poured on his head and there's so much oil that it doesn't stay on the head. It, it, it goes down to his beard and it fills his beard and then it, then it begins to continue to flow down the robes of Aaron. Now think about that picture as it relates to us in the church, like this blessing that's being poured out. You know, it's kind of funny because at, at Sojourn here, um, it's funny to me, uh, anyway, um, at Sojourn here, um, when someone is sick and, uh, and they come up for prayer, we often anoint with oil. Um, but what we do is we put a little oil on our finger and we just kind of dot their head. <laughs> um, and, you know, people are concerned about their complexions and, and whatnot, so that, you know, like, 
going around dumping oil on people's heads isn't, isn't uh, I don't know, it's not socially acceptable anymore, I guess. Um, but, you know, that, that, there, it speaks to something, right? Like, like we see the blessing of God often as like, you know, man, I'm just happy to get a little dot. And here he says when we live in harmony, it's like God just pouring oil over our heads that can't be contained. It's not contained by the hair. It's not contained by the beard. It just, it flows everywhere. And, and it's this idea that as it flows everywhere, everybody's affected. Every one of us is affected regardless of where we stand in the, in the social order of the church or society or, or, or where we're at spiritually, whether we are the most spiritual in this room or where we're holding on to our faith um, with, with white knuckles. We are all benefited by the blessing of harmony. That when we live together in unity, uh, we all are blessed by that. And, and we see that in the second illustration w- w- where he, he um, kind of expounds on this idea. And whenever you see two illustrations, it's like he's really trying to make this point, right? So you have this idea of the, of the blessing that is just abundant and reaches everywhere. And then you have this idea of the dew of Hermon. So Mount Hermon is the largest mountain in the region, um, uh, over there, and and uh, it is known for copious amounts of of dew, and essentially it's it's the highest mountain. And if you're into weather, um, if that's your brand of nerd, we're kind of hitting different brands of nerds here. Um, you know, you got you've got air that 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 has got moisture in it. Uh, it's warm air, and as it rises up the mountain, it cools down, and and it begins to condensate and and create dew. And um, uh, and it, this region was known for lots of dew, and, and it would reach down the mountain into a lot of different places. And not only would it do that, but it would also collect in the stream. So where the dew didn't reach because it was still too warm, you would still experience the blessing of the dew because it would come in the streams to go into the more deserty areas. Does that make sense? Now what he's saying here is that, that the blessing of us um, being unified in living life in this, in this harmony is like uh, the dew of Mount Hermon reaching Mount Zion. Well, they're not close to each other. This is not something that happens. It's very, very far away. And so the idea that it would actually reach there, like that, that's miraculous. That is an abundance of dew, if you will. Like, like for those two things to happen, for, for the dew on Mount Hermon to reach Zion, like that would take an act of God. But what's beautiful about that is not only would it bless Zion, it would bless all of the areas in between. Think about that, right? So like when we, when we find harmony and unity within the church, it doesn't just bless us in the church, it blesses the region. It blesses the city. It blesses um, people all around that are connected tightly and loosely uh, to the church. That's the picture that he's giving here. That's what he's trying to lay out, that, that it is important to us that we dwell in unity with one another because it has an effect not only on us, but it has an effect well beyond. And he says, for there, there the Lord has appointed the blessing. Where we dwell in unity, there he has appointed the blessing. He says, life forevermore, that, that, that the picture of eternal life, that, that the, the joy for which we rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished, we see it where we dwell in unity. Amen? That's the picture. That's what God wants us to experience. He's what, what he wants you to experience, that, that it would be normal, not fleeting like, like in your uh, you know, old uh, uh, junior high sports days, like those little moments of unity, um, or 
or um, imaginary, like watching a movie and feeling like, well, what if I was an Avenger? It'd be so fun to be unified with them. But what does it look like for us to actually experience reality, a reality that we could be unified and experience that blessing? That's the picture. So if that's the picture, what's the problem? What's the danger? Why do we have a hard time uh, leaning into unity at times? And, and part of this, as I said earlier, like we live in a world that's marked by disunity. Um, we live in a world that keeps telling us we need to define more, more tightly, more narrowly where we're at so that we can distinguish ourselves from others. Um, if you've ever been on Twitter, like I think that's their mission statement. Um, is like, how do you, you know, make sure that you're different and fight? And, and um, that's the world we kind of live in. If you've never been on Twitter, stay off. Not worth it. Just telling you now. I don't have stock in it, as you can tell. Um, the problem is that, that these things leak into the church, that the church should be different, but we're not always there. So what keeps us there from there? And I would say there's kind of, I, I, I thought of this week, I, just kind of, I was praying through this, there's kind of three things that, that at least rise up in me when I'm thinking about what does it look like to be an agent of unity. Um, one is that unity requires other people. I mean, that's probably obvious. Um, but you can drop the us from search us, and you can pray search me, and you can, be, you can feel okay. You shouldn't, but you could. You can drop the us from break us and just say break me. But when you get to uni unify us, that requires other people. And that's, that's hard at times that we have to think, um, what does it look like uh, if I'm going to pray this, that this isn't just about me? And I know no one in here is that selfish, um, but it's possible, right? <laughs> that we could have lives that are oriented around what do I want, what do I need, um, what, would, what would feed me, what would, what would help me. But, but to, to pray this prayer, we have to move past that because harmony requires more than one part. Right? A soloist cannot produce harmonies unless, I don't know, I guess they could be, be uh, blessed in certain ways. I think we actually have some musicians here that maybe have voices that feel that way. But a harmony cannot... It uh, cannot be produced with one note. It has, to be, um, it has to be multiple notes, different notes, to be harmonious. Um, and sometimes we can fake this, right? We can say, well, I live in harmony um, with my brothers and sisters. I don't have any conflicts. But we do it through isolation. We do it through not engaging. And that's not harmony, right? That isolation is not harmony. It's kind of a, it's kind of a fake unity. Well, I don't speak up or, or I don't try to use my gifts or I try to, don't try to engage. Um, so in order for us to pray this prayer, we have to be willing to engage with one another, even when we're different. So you got, it requires uh, others. And then second, which is kind of similar, but the idea of like, it does require some death to self. If you're, gonna, if you're going to invite others or, 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 or pray that you be united with others, you also have to let go of some of your own preferences. Some of the, some of the things that, that for you, um, uh, if you're in an isolation, you can just kind of determine and, and, and uh, pave your own way and, and do things the way you want to do them. If you're going to be unified, you have to start letting some of those things go. 
there's an invitation there to empathy. And this, if I could say anything across what I see, um, what I see on social media and on the news and, and what I see even the church at large engaging in at times, empathy for people that are different is, is not the value that's being promoted these days. To actually, you know, the, what's being promoted is what do you need and, what, and, and, and what's important to you and, and say that as loud and as fast and as hard and as often as you can. A prayer for unity is an invitation into empathy to say, I wonder what someone else's story is. I wonder what their experience is in the church. I wonder what their experience is in America. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder why they have that opinion that's different than mine. It's a curiosity, right? If you want to be unified, you have to have a curiosity for what other people are going through, people that are different than you. We cannot be unified if we see other people as inferior in any way. Maybe because they look different than you. They're a different race. They're a different gender. Maybe it's because they have different views than you. They're a different political persuasion. And we begin to say, well, someone who believes those things really isn't worthy of unity. And when we start going down that road, we don't have much hope. <laughs> unity unity uh, goes away. It, di it dissipates when we believe that there are other people who are either not or are inferior or not worthy of it. So you can't sing in harmony if you despise other parts, right? If you, if you look at someone and say, they don't sing like me, or they don't sing the notes that I sing, and so I don't want to sing with them, you can't have harmony. If you look at someone and say, oh, I wish I could sing like that, and so you begin to have envy and despise them, for, well, you can't have harmony, right? We all have our parts to play. And so we have to uh, be able to die to self in that way in order, to, in order to realize the unity and the harmony that he's talking about here. The last thing is that, uh, which I think is very important and, and really gets to the heart of this, is that to pray for unity um, almost always disrupts comfort. Almost always disrupts comfort. Other people and empathy for other people it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us have to think and do things that we wouldn't have to do uh, if it was just us. And we live in a super comfortable time, do we not? We are bombarded with comfort. Um, I would say that convenience and comfort drive most of America's innovations. Um, I'm still old enough to remember when, like, when I would go to a gas station, you'd have to, like, go in and tell them how much you were going to get and then pump it and then go in and pay. Anyone, anyone old enough to remember those things? Um, after a few years of the pay at the pump, um, I was so addicted to convenience that if I drove into a gas station and you still had to do that, which I know they don't exist anymore, but the, you know, for a while there, you drive in and I would drive an, another mile to find a gas station that had pay at the pump. I would, draw, I would take me longer to find another gas station than it would just to go in and pay, but for some reason it was like, well, but it's more convenient to just go to the pump. You guys, you guys following? I mean, if you think about how driven by convenience we are, someone invented uh, pre-lathered soap, right? Like at some point someone was like, this is so inconvenient. How could we, how could we make this easier? Like, that's how addicted to this we are, right? And so, if you think about 
um, uh, um, convenience or, or just, just comfort. Um, we're really driven by comfort, but there's a problem is that comfort is fleeting. You'll see that as we've gone, become more uncomfortable as a society, we've also been more disunified as a society. Well, why is that? It's because comfort is fleeting. We learn this over time that when you're comfortable, it doesn't last for very long. And if it doesn't, and once you realize that it doesn't last, then when you do feel comfortable, you begin, you begin to kind of uh, have this fear that it's eventually going to be taken away. When's the other shoe going to drop? And so you have to start protecting that which makes you comfortable. Are you guys following? Maybe an illustration would help. I, um, I have four kids. Uh, they're actually sitting in the back there from 14 to 8. Um, and uh, my youngest is still, uh, I would say he's still in that place where most of his life is comfortable, Right? He lives a very comfortable life. And so if I'm at dinner and, I'm, and, and dad has eaten all of his chips uh, and my son Clay still has chips and I take one of his chips, he's very happy to share. He's no, he has no fear of losing comfort. There's, there'll probably be more chips. Um, uh, or a dessert. If I want to take a bite, he's very happy to share. Now my older kids, my older kids know, like, hey, we only have dessert twice a week. And so they know that that comfort, that joy in the in dessert is fleeting. And so when I'm like, oh, look at that, you know, they cover up. <laughs> they start playing defense. If I could get them to box out in basketball like they box out for their chips, we'd have a team. But that's how we respond, right? Like we can imagine our kids doing that, but that's how we respond to comfort in our lives is that when we're, when we're uh, afraid that someone might take our comfort... Um, we, we begin to see that as a threat, and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it's a threat to unity, right? There's always someone that wants to take something from us. That's what we're constantly being taught. Either that's by the world or by Satan who's whispering in our ears that, that man, you know, someone wants something that is yours, that makes you comfortable. It's the same lie that he's been saying since the beginning. Adam and Eve, who, who were as comfortable as they could get, right? They're, they're in paradise with God, and yet Satan whispers, you know, what is he withholding from you? What is he withholding from you? And that same thing is whispered into our ears. Like, like what could you lose? Who, who is going to take it from you? Take your comfort. Who's going to take your job? Who's going to take your money? Who's going to take your way of life? Have you, have you heard these political ads in the last, last month? Right? There's a they that's always coming for your comfort. If we're... If we're, if we're consumed by that idea of comfort, we're, we're never um, going to be able to be unified. And it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter where you're at, what your story is, there's always another they, right? Um, it shouldn't be this way in the church. Christ said, you know, Ephesians 2, it says that, that the wall of hostility has been broken down. We don't, have to, we don't have to look at each other as a they. We can actually be unified, but yet here we are. Um, and uh, in a couple days, uh, we'll celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Um, uh, I think next Monday is uh, MLK Day. Um, here's what he said. Uh, he said, There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early church rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, it was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. What he's saying there is that there was a time when the church 
was so powerful it could transform society because it was unified on the very basic things of who Jesus is and what he has done and, and what it means to live life in harmony with one another. But the more that the church uh, is disunified, the less power that it has. Less power it has to transform society. Like we get power messed up, right? Like power is like, like political power to, to, to change the, the, the laws. No, real power is the power to transform societies. Real power is the ability to, to speak into to, to the lives of people who are hurting and lost and, and bring them to Jesus and, and give them life. That's the real power. And so the more disunified we are, the less power we have. And certainly I know that this is a church that desires to transform society. You, you do amazing things in, in New Albany. Um, you, you're engaged in the schools. You do events for people to come into. I mean, a beautiful example of that is the Spanish-speaking uh, uh, community group that, that's being started up. That's, that's beautiful, right? It's, it's this idea that, that um, all of our parts matter. The more we pull apart, though, the harder those things are to do. Because the watching world, there's a, there's a world that's watching and looking and, and seeing, like, like are we... Um, as disunified and, and uh, distrustful as one another as the rest of the world. And so it's dangerous because we have, to, we have to accept that reality, right? That we might be uncomfortable. If we want to be unified, we have to embrace all the stories uh, of the members of, of our church. Every body part um, needs to be able to participate. It's kind of interesting that we had, we had done 1 Corinthians um, uh, the, the idea of the body parts, the parts of the body, um, that when they work together, uh, they, accomplish, uh, they accomplish the work of the kingdom. Um, it says in there, like, the foot can't look at the hand and say, well, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong. Some of you feel that way. Some of you are like, I don't look like everybody here, and so I'm not sure if I belong. Or I have different views from people here. I'm not sure if I belong. It also says... Uh, you know, the, I think it's the I can't say to the ear, you don't belong. So, like, there's one where we kind of self-evaluate and say I don't belong, and there's another part where parts say, I'm not sure you do belong, right? If we do that, if we're disjointed as a body, we can't accomplish those things that we set out to accomplish. Um, I had a great example of that this week is um, I had a lot going on. Um, um, I was traveling and, uh, and speaking at a couple different places, um, which I don't actually do a lot, uh, but this was that week, and lo and behold, I woke up, uh, or actually I like, got off the plane at the first, uh, first thing that I had to do, and I had, uh, I had a gout flare-up. And if you're like me, and, you think, uh, and you're like, do people still get gout? Wasn't that like 1800s Charles Dickens stuff? Um, I didn't know that either. I was quite surprised myself uh, when I found this out. Um, but essentially, uh, it feels like my body saying, my foot doesn't belong. That's what it feels like. Um, and so uh, it makes everything harder. So like, hey, we're going to go to dinner. And I'm like, well, how long is the walk? You know, like um, everything I, ha I was trying to do this week was slowed down. I, I was I, a less effective um, because I had this pain in my foot um, that my foot just didn't feel like it was in unity with the rest of my body. That's what it's like when we have members of our body that, that don't feel like they can participate. And if you're looking at my foot right now, you can't see it. I mean, it's, I know you're all like, oh, your foot looks fine to me. 
Um, but that's the idea. That's the picture. Um, and we have to be willing to kind of accept all those parts. Um, so the good news, if this is the danger, the good news is that when we actually pray this prayer, we are in great company. Not only in great company, we have a great example um, because our Lord and Savior prayed this prayer for us. So when we're looking, like, like it can feel bleak sometimes, especially if you're looking beyond the walls of the church and you're looking at the world around us, but, but it's, it's not bleak when we look at what is God's desire for us. So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, I think we'll put it up on here, um, John 17. John 17, this is Jesus praying for the church, and he says, he starts with this, I pray not for these, which is the disciples at the time, he says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. This is as cool as it gets. Like, he didn't name each of us by name. But how cool is it that Jesus is explicitly praying for you and me because we believe because of the, the faithful proclamation of, of disciples throughout the years, he's praying specifically for us here. Is that pretty cool? I hope that's cool to you. It's pretty amazing, right? He's praying for us. What does he pray? He prays, he says, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He prays that we would experience unity, not fleetingly, like through, through, uh, through a movie, um, living our life vicariously through these stories, but that we would actually experience unity that God experiences within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that kind of unity, a unity of purpose, a unity of love, that that's what he desires for the church. That's beautiful. And because the Father and Jesus are one in us, we can actually experience that because, because God working through us, we can actually overcome some of our own sins and biases and, and, uh, and selfishness. We can actually overcome them because Christ died for us and, and, and forg has forgiven our sins, right? He's given us new life that we could actually live this kind of life with one another. We've been reconciled to God, so we've been reconciled to one another. We can actually experience this. And then I love verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. He speaks directly to our fears of, of the comfort that we try to protect. He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. That's the inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of the king. A glory, an inheritance that is far greater than any comfort that we experience today. When we realize what inheritance we have, then the, then the minor temporal comforts that, that tend to divide us, they fade into the background because we're living for that greater joy and that greater glory. Do you see that? He says, I want them to know that they um, have that glory so that they're not, they're not going um, to be tempted uh, to, to, to break apart and be disunified over fear. So beautiful. They've given them the glory that you've given me so that they can be one. And then he says this. He says, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. That purpose of that unity is one. It's not, it's not an obligation. It's a joy. It's a joy that you and I could experience that unity with one another. They experience what God experienced in the tree. He wants you to experience that for the joy. 
And then there is, there, is out, there, there is fruit from that, and that fruit is that the world would see, that the world around us would be transformed, that from, from Hermon to Mount Zion, that everywhere in between would see and be transformed by the unified church, the body, this body, unified, would have a greater impact on New Albany and the surrounding area. Do you see that? Does that excite you? I hope it excites you. It excites me because I already see it. I already see what you're able to do as you come together. I'm I'm able to see what you've been able to accomplish. And the beauty with this is that when he uses the example of, of the Father and the Son is that they are one, but they are not they are, they're not the same. Does that make sense? So it's not uniformity. It's unity. You get to keep your stories. Those stories coming together make a beautiful story together. Um, it's not that we all have to become the same. And I think that that is, is beautiful. So in light of Jesus' prayer, this is what we're invited to do today. The first is, is to dwell in unity. So to, to dwell. What does that mean? That means to get connected to the body. If you're on the outside, if you're one of those feet that's saying, I don't know if I belong, you do. Let me just make that really clear. You belong to this body, so find a way to get connected. Participate in some form of community community group or, or a way to serve the church. Just engage with the church. Engage with your brothers and sisters. Isolation is not unity. We already talked about that. So find a way to, to, to get involved. The second, I would say, we also, we also talked about this verse, uh, or we also used this verse in the liturgy this morning, love one another, right? The great commandments, to love God and to love one another. So orient your heart towards unity. All of it, like, like what Jesus prays is, I've given them glory, the glory that, that, that Jesus shares with the Father to us so that, so that we wouldn't be distracted and we can orient our hearts towards one another, that we could orient our hearts towards unity. So where you can participate in that, participate in that. If there's things in your life that, that, that drive you towards disunity, get rid of them. If you can't go on social media without fighting with brothers and sisters you've never met and who are never going to change their minds, get rid of it. It's not good for your soul, right? Orient your heart towards loving one another. And then the last is, to, is let's not miss the point, like we're in dangerous prayers, pray. Pray that God would unify this church. Pray that God would unify your family. Pray that God um, would, would use the prayers of search me and break me to prepare us for, for a unity that, that is greater than we already experience. Pray for the people that disagree with you. Pray for your enemies, as Jesus has taught. Um, if we can orient our hearts in this way, we, we join uh, in the prayers of Jesus that we would experience that kind of unity. And if we do, the promise is that we would have a transforming effect on this city and the people that are looking in. Amen? Um, at the end of every service, uh, we, we celebrate with communion. And uh, you know, today, as every day, it is a great picture of what we've seen in the Scripture um, that as we break bread, which is a reminder of, of Jesus' body broken for us. Uh, that, what, that what he did in taking our place and in, in, in taking, um, uh, taking the judgment that belonged to us is, is that he reconciled us with the Father. And when he reconciled us with the Father, um, he reconciles us one, with one another. And, and we dip the bread 
in wine, which is, uh, symbolizes his blood that was shed, that washes us of our sins. And, and this picture, this communion, is, is the fact that we are, we are proclaiming to one another um, that we are Jesus's, right? That we belong to Jesus and that we have not just been saved from something, we've been saved into something, saved into a family. And so as you take communion this, this morning, uh, just be reminded of the beauty of that, of what, of what Christ accomplished so that we could experience the unity that he prays for us uh, in John. And with that, let me pray. Um, and we'll worship together. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.